Greetings, all you 99 percenters. This is your host, Dr. Jack Rasmus. This is Alternative Visions. Okay, uh, today uh, we want to pick up this topic again uh, of uh, inflation. we got two reports that came out, the Consumer Price Index and the Producer Price Index here just in the past week. So uh, we want to take a look at that because it's kind of shaking up uh, the capitalist investors. Uh, it means now they're contrary to their wishful thinking. Uh, the Fed will probably continue to raise interest rates. And we'll talk about that Fed strategy a little bit in relationship to inflation uh, and jobs. Uh, and uh, going forward, uh, you know, we'll we'll look at here uh, what's going on with these latest inflation reports, what it might will likely mean for Fed uh, uh, further rate hikes and therefore for the economy in general, U.S. economy itself. You know, uh, I want to, though, uh, make it uh, an announcement here next week's show will be dedicated to uh, my analysis of what's going on in Ukraine war, both economic, political, and military. Uh, it will be a follow-up re-looking at my article I wrote at the end of January last year, not January this year, but the end of January last year before the invasion, uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine occurred, on February 24th of 2022, uh, I wrote a piece called 10 Reasons Why uh, the U.S. May Want uh, Russia to Invade Ukraine. 10 Reasons. So next week's uh, show, I will revisit those 10 reasons and see to what extent uh, that forecast and prediction was true. Uh, what are the 10 reasons and uh, uh, how have they uh, turned out over the past year? Uh, so February 24th, next Friday's uh, Alternative Vision Show, which happens to be the anniversary of the invasion that began, the war that began. Uh, actually, that war has been going on since 2014 here. It's just that uh, Russia in the, invaded, um, you know, the Donbass and other areas uh, and, and escalated it. And by the way, I'm predicting that uh, this thing's going to uh, reach a third stage of escalation. First stage was uh, when the, uh, in 2014-15, uh, the uh, People in the Donbass, that's the eastern uh, provinces there of Ukraine, uh, uh, rose up and uh, the uh, Ukrainian government uh, in, attacked them. And then that war began, a low-intensity low, uh, low, uh, war there. Well, not so low because 14,000 people were killed from, from 2014 to 2022. Uh, that was the first phase of that war. Second phase when the Russian Russian uh, invasion occurred here last year on the 24th of February. Uh, but I'm predicting now there will be a third phase here with the new Russian in, uh, offensive that's uh, in some cases looks like it's beginning to uh, occur already. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the Ukrainian uh, response and invasion of their own. Uh, but I'll I'm not going to get into it right now, uh, but I will next week. The whole show will be dedicated to that topic, the Ukraine war, sanctions, economic impacts, military uh, consequences, plus and minus on both sides, and where it's going to be going now and its economic uh, consequences. Okay, so that's just an announcement. 
for next week. Stand by. Hope everybody uh, joins joins the show uh, for, in some ways, what might be my own uh, iconoclastic uh, analysis of what's going on over there. You can't really get uh, any, virtually any sense of what's actually going on if you just uh, listen to CNN and MSNBC and so forth. These are the new propaganda channels. Um, in any event, uh, you know, I've been looking at some other alternative uh, sources here to try to make some sense of what's going on. Okay, so that's next week. Let's uh, turn back to uh, the issue of the day here, which is uh, discussing the latest uh, inflation indicators. And uh, I will also talk about, uh, we had a a show on GDP, uh, those real economy indicators here a couple weeks ago. You might want to go back and and, uh, listen to that, my analysis of the latest uh, U.S. GDP reports. Uh, showing the economy is much weaker than they're saying, uh, the real economy. And, uh, of course, I've been talking about jobs uh, and the problems with the job stats. Uh, the jobs data is much weaker uh, than they're reporting. Uh, you know, it's incredible, 517,000 jobs last month, uh, which is just a misrepresentation. But I'm not going to repeat that analysis. Go listen to that show on jobs and the show on GDP, and now we're going to talk about uh, uh, inflation to some some degree. Uh, and then, of course, you got the Fed. Those, those four topics are all interrelated now. All right, so let's, uh, let's talk about the inflation here. Uh, look, my analysis of inflation is uh, the following. And to really understand what's going on, uh, you got to get below the surface and look at the data. And you can't rely on these political ideological arguments. You know, Republicans say, oh, inflation is uh, uh, due to all the money that we gave uh, uh, folks here during COVID, right? They, they're sitting on this huge pot of money and they're spending it, spending it. It's all demand-based, right? And it's all because we gave them too much money. Uh, well, that's a total ideological uh, analysis and it's, uh, you know, totally false. Right? Um, and then you got the Democrats uh, who say that, uh, oh, you know, we're being successful. Inflation is coming down rapidly. Is it? Is it? Yeah. Well, you know, you might say the topic of this show is, quote, is inflation really slowing? If so, how much really? Uh, and how much more might it? Uh, <clears throat> okay, so. As I said, you've got to peel the onion and you got to look below the surface, and then you get into issues of uh, of uh, data and statistical uh, changing of the data uh, that you got to understand uh, because it uh, it corrupts the the raw data. But anyway, uh, my analysis is this: as I've said before, uh, inflation that we've got now is the majority of which is supply-side driven, okay? Uh, Probably 60% at least is supply-side. In other words, when you have a shortage 
of supplies of goods and services that drives up inflation. You know, economics 101. When you have an excess of demand, uh, that drives up inflation. So both supply shortages, demand, excess can both drive up prices. And conversely, prices come down when you uh, uh, create more supply or you reduce demand. Uh, but the truth is inflation is not caused by supply and demand. Inflation is caused by those real factors that determine supply and demand. Supply and demand are, are just um, sort of indicators of the real causes of inflation. So you've got to get under, uh, you know, peel that onion to see, well, what's driving supply? Well, what's driving demand? Those are your real causes. So my analysis is the following. It's mostly supply side, which is composed of several elements. One, you have global supply chains, problems in delivery, uh, which were very intense in 2021-22, which have alleviated some but are still significant. Right? Not all the supply chains uh, have, have been healed, you, you might say. Uh, and then you've got the war, Ukraine war, and the U.S.-European G7 sanctions uh, on Russia. Uh, which causes supply shortages globally. And when you have supply shortages in commodities, in other words, not every product is a commodity. In economics, commodities are metals, okay? Commodities are agricultural goods, uh, like grains and, and cooking oil and things like that, agricultural goods, commodities, uh, minerals uh, like uh, iron and aluminum and so forth, right? These are industrial agricultural commodities. Now, they are different than general products because they their price is determined on global markets. Right? The price of commodities is determined by global markets and the capitalists, the finance capitalists, who manipulate those global markets. There's a market for nickel in London. There's a, you know, a, a market for um, uh, iron ore. There's a market for aluminum, raw aluminum. Uh, there, there's, there's a market for all those rare metals. There's a market for wheat and for grains and for corn, etc. And those are determined by brokers, finance capitalists, who buy and sell contracts on these global goods. You know, if you have a, a shortage in some part of the world for corn, uh, but uh, you have a, an excess supply somewhere else uh, in the world uh, for corn, then, you know, they, they broker and they buy and sell uh, to countries, right? Uh, the, the the commodities themselves. Okay, now these are global speculators. Uh, as finance capitalists, uh, brokers, 
uh, you know, these markets, uh, they manipulate the price if they can. And when they see there's a shortage due to war or sanctions, uh, they raise the price for those commodities. For example, even before you had a problem with sanctions on uh, uh, wheat and sunflower cooking oil and so forth uh, out of Russia and Ukraine, uh, they were jacking up the price already, the global price, in anticipation of a shortage. So you have actual physical shortages of these commodities, but you also have the speculative overlay on these commodities due to these financial speculators, right, these global capitalists finance capitalists. Uh, So uh, part of the problem we've had here with the war and the sanctions is, yes, uh, eventually uh, it uh, results in in, uh, physical goods supply shortages, but the speculators are manipulating the price all the time and manipulating it up. That's continuing. And I predict that when this new offensive really intensifies here in the spring, uh, you're going to see those industrial commodities, those agricultural commodities, oil, right, natural gas, uh, all of those uh, crude oil-based commodities uh, will also uh, rise further. In fact, we can see now already gasoline prices are rising. Have you noticed that? Yeah, they came down late last year. Uh, but they are intensifying, uh, rising once again, partly in, in anticipation of the war uh, and further sanctions uh, exacerbating uh, the physical supply of, of energy goods. Right? Uh, but already we're, we're beginning to see uh, a reversal in the energy costs of last year. Right? Okay, so global supply chains, war and sanctions – uh, commodities, global commodities speculators are all driving up prices on the supply side. Hmm? Uh, and there's really uh, no no control over these, these global speculators. Right? There's no way to really control them or to cause the prices to go down or whatever. Right? Uh, and the oil companies are, you know, a good example of uh, speculators uh, who drive up, they they manipulate the supply very cleverly uh, of oil and therefore the price and uh, the speculators uh, are, you know, in cooperation with them and they drive the price up, et cetera. Uh, That's going on. Well, why, why does that go on? Why did, how can the speculators get away with that? Uh, uh, Because of the U S dollar. You see, all these global commodities, whether they're industrial, metals, minerals, whatever, agriculture, whatever, oil, energy, whatever, are traded in global markets with the dollar as the currency of the trade, the U.S. dollar. All these things are bought and sold in dollars. Now, there's some trend away from that going on, you know, as a result of the sanctions in particular, but most of it, you know, you got to have dollars in order to buy oil and natural gas. you got to have dollars to buy wheat to feed your people. Right? you got to have dollars to buy uh, metals and minerals for your factories to run. 
The U.S. dollar is a linchpin of the global U.S. economic empire. If trade wasn't in dollars, you know, the U.S. ability to bully people, economic, countries economically around the world uh, would be greatly diminished. Yeah, the dollar is the key here. And these commodities are you know, dealt with in dollars. Now, think of this. Here's another cause on the supply side. When the Federal Reserve raises interest rates in the U.S., as it has been, that drives the value of the dollar up. Well, if the dollar appreciates in value and you're buying global commodities only using the dollar, guess what happens to the cost of those commodities? They go up as well. Okay, so you have this element here dry of, of interest rates and dollar appreciation also driving up the cost of these industrial commodities and all other commodities, by the way, that might be bought with dollars. You know, other, other no, I shouldn't say commodities, I should say just products, right? Not all products are exchanged globally uh, using dollars, but all commodities are as defined. You know, metals, industrial, uh, grains, agricultural, things like that. Energy, certainly, oil, okay? Now, there's cracks in that edifice. Uh, lately, for example, China and Saudi Arabia uh, agreed to <clears throat> uh, buy and sell goods from each other uh, not using dollars either using the China uh, yuan or uh, barter. I thought it was just exchanging so much for so much uh, goods. Uh, that's occurring now increasingly as well. Okay, so the dollar, the linchpin of the U.S. empire, as it rises, and it is as the Fed has raised interest rates from just about zero uh, to about Five, almost 5% now over the course of a year, and is going to raise more, no doubt. We're going to get at least two or more uh, further rate hikes. Uh, the forecast, forecast uh, by some economists is that the Fed will raise its short-term rate, rate, its benchmark rate, target rate, called the federal funds rate, going to raise it to 6%. Eventually, it's close to 5 It's about 5 now. It's going to raise to 6%. Now, I predicted the 6% rate is beginning to shake the financial system. You're going to see defaults. You're going to see bankruptcies. And you could have contagion. Uh, so you could have more financial instability. As I've been saying all along, the more the Fed raises above five, the more fragile the global financial asset markets become and the more likely a financial instability event, particularly zombie companies who can't handle it, uh, you know, occurs. All right, that's the digression. I'm not going to go there. Uh, we'll talk about that uh, shortly, maybe. Uh, but to sum up, you know, what we're looking at, partially sum up, supply-side problems, global supply chain problems, war and sanction problems, U.S. dollar appreciation, and the cost of these global com traded commodities problem. Now, add on to the supply side, further domestic supply problems. 
here. Well, what do I mean by that? Not just supply chains, you know, they can't find enough workers for things. Um, but uh, what we got domestically here in the U.S., on top of these global supply issues, is price gouging by monopolistic corporations. Monopolistic means, you know, you just have a few uh, producers of the particular commodity, right? And that allows them to manipulate the price, to raise the price, especially when demand for their goods is weakening because the economy is weakening. Uh, if you're a monopoly, you can raise your prices even though demand is falling, you know, because you control the supply. And that's what's happening. We've got uh, uh, the oil companies, of course, they manipulate gas and natural gas and so forth, the uh, home heating oil and diesel and so forth, uh, you know, continually uh, moving from one to the other, depending upon the, the, the season, whether it's summer and driving or winter and, uh, and people need uh, heating, all right? Uh, they, they manipulate it because they can because there's a, you know, only four or five. How do they manipulate it? Uh, it's not because there's a shortage of crude, crude oil in the U.S. There's a glut of oil in the U.S., a glut. They manipulated it by controlling the refinery process. We haven't created a refinery, you know, a gasoline or whatever refinery here uh, in decades, and they don't want to because that's their their choke point, and uh, they conveniently shut down, you know, this refinery, or they have, quote, a fire, you know, that requires them to shut down the whole thing when they don't really have to, right? And uh, therefore, they use that as an excuse. And then, by the way, this typically occurs in the springtime, you know, the shutdowns for maintenance and the fires, you know, just as people are getting ready to drive more, right? Uh, that happens all the time. So, uh you know, price gouging by energy companies, you know, is, is clearly uh, a cause. Uh, price gouging uh, by utility companies, you know, which have a monopoly role here. I mean, a good example is in California. Uh, what's going on now is uh, natural gas prices have doubled and tripled in some cases. Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, because uh, PG&E uh, uh, caused all these fires, uh, you know, by its equipment, uh, and, uh, you know, has all this liability, and it almost went broke, and uh, it has to recoup some of that money to pay, you know, all these liabilities and everything, so they're jacking up the price, because they can. And they often get the government uh, uh, utilities commissions uh, to collude with them to do it, right? So, uh you know, it's not just the oil companies, uh, you know, it's the utility companies play the same game. And, and certain other companies who have a powerful monopolistic position uh, in the economy. You see this in processed foods, uh, uh, meat, meat, meat packers and butchers and so forth. You see it in baked goods. You know, there's like three or four main producers, you know, bread and cereals and so forth. Uh uh, we've got the rising uh, processed food prices, uh, primarily because of price gouging, right? Uh, along with the gasoline prices and along with rents. If you look at the consumer problem, consumer price problem, uh, you know, it's concentrated in in uh, energy, gasoline, and related, right? In processed foods and certain 
you know, meat, eggs, milk, bread, juice, right, all processed food, uh, and uh, rents, those three areas, uh, gasoline, energy, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't limit it to gasoline, but, um, you know, energy products, processed food, and rents. Right, that's where it's all concentrated. Uh, also in uh, automobiles, to some extent. Right. <clears throat> prices of which are going up, by the way. You know, uh, the, for January, used cars prices are kind of a leading indicator where car prices are going. Used car dealers, uh, uh, auctions, you know, they look at, well, there's going to be a shortage of uh, uh, as uh, shutdowns and layoffs occur for new cars here in 23 uh, because of the recession. Uh, we, we need to jack up uh, used car prices. And used car prices kind of went through the roof in 21, 22 as the shutdowns occurred. And now as they anticipate more shutdowns and recession this year, used car prices are going through the roof again. Yeah, in January, they went up 2.5% in one month alone. Uh, and, uh, you know, economists are perplexed. Well, why is that? Why are used car prices jumping all of a sudden? Well, because the used car dealers know what's coming, right? Uh, so rents, Processed food, gasoline, energy, right? Cars. That's where it's all concentrated, right? Uh, I predict that uh, uh, with the war and the sanctions and, and so forth coming here, that uh, the global price per barrel of oil rate around $80, depending whether it's, uh, you know, uh, North Sea or West Texas, um, average is about $80 now. Uh, is, is going to rise $100 a barrel. Well, the speculators are going to use that as an excuse to drive up their prices. Well, they're part of the $100 a barrel price. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's going to get passed on. That's why I say that plus the price gouging by U.S. oil companies plus the seasonal driving and so forth means, uh, and the war intensification, it means that you're going to have a, a, a another a gasoline at the pump price spike here pretty soon. Okay. Now, of course, that's not going to uh, uh, help out <laughs> the inflation indicators, right? No. By the way, the oil companies uh, last year, because of their manipulating price, you know how much more profits they made? They had a record year, historical record year. The big, big four or five oil companies, whatever, $219 billion in excess profits last year. $219 billion, Just four or five companies. You know, I mean, you look at Exxon, the big ones, Exxon, Chevron, whatever, $40, 50000000000 billion record profits last year. And, and, you know, it's a global thing. You look at uh, BP, British Petroleum, you know, 30-some billion and you look at Total Energies, the French, you know, 30-some billion. Uh, they're ripping everybody off. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So uh, that's supply side. I just sort of gave you an overview of, you know, below the surface what's going on on supply side. Global supply chains, warrant sanctions, right? Commodities speculators, price gouging price gouging of monopolistic corporations, and in general, the last one, in general, uh, 
unit labor costs are rising uh, for business, U.S. business in general. And they will pass on these higher unit labor costs, unit per, per output, uh, to the consumer. That's going on now and will continue to go on. Now, what do we mean by unit labor costs? Unit labor costs are you know, the cost to the business for a unit of whatever it sells, right? And if that goes up, uh, they pass on. Well, what causes it to go up? Uh, wages, wage increases or compensation going up raises unit labor costs. But productivity falling also drives up unit labor costs. And what we got going on now is wages are abating. In other words, they're slowing here throughout 2022. But productivity is uh, collapse is surging, increasing. Productivity is the big culprit for rising unit labor costs here over the past year and right now. Productivity, and I'm quoting from uh, here from Productivity and Cost News released by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, quote, productivity had, quote, its largest annual decline in the measure since 1974. The worst productivity collapse since 1974. You can't look at it quarter to quarter. You've got to look at the long-term trend. And if you look at from December to December, and it was December of 21, 2021, to December of 2022, that's last year, productivity fell 1.5%. Now, that may not sound big, but, boy, it is big, right? Because typically productivity, on average, over the long term, increases one and a half to two percent a year, right? But instead, it's falling one and a half percent. So that's like a, a three or four percent collapse in productivity, which raises unit labor costs, which then get passed on in price increases in our CPI and so forth, right? Manufacturing productivity has fallen five of the last six quarters, right? Including the fourth quarter, right? Manufacturing productivity, right? Uh, In the third quarter, it fell three and a half percent. You know, it fell one and a half percent in the fourth quarter. Three and a half percent, I'm talking about 2022 here, right? So, you know, in the last half of the year, about five percent. Yeah. Now, unit labor costs have gone up 6.5% in the last half of the year, third quarter, right? 6.5%. So, you know, productivity collapsing, unit labor costs rising twice as fast as the collapse in productivity. Well, if the cost per unit of output is rising that much, businesses are going to try to pass it on, and they do. And they do. I mean, just just not, not going just to the grocery store and the gas station, but think of other things that uh, you've done and how the prices have gone through the roof. 
they're going through the roof everywhere. And these may not be monopolistic corporations and industries. No, these may are businesses in general. You know, your local restaurant um, has to raise prices. Or, or the airlines or, you know, hotels and whatever, you know, if their costs, unit costs are rising, they have to raise prices, and they are. Who the hell can afford to go out for dinner anymore, you know? I mean, the last time I went out with, uh, with my wife was uh, spaghetti, a bowl of spaghetti. <laughs> spaghetti cost $40. Do you believe it? You know, $40. I spent $80 to go have a, you know, a, I'm not talking about a fancy restaurant. I'm just you know, talking about a restaurant. And that's the last time we're we're going out to, have spaghetti. I can make the same thing here even better with more mushrooms for uh, three bucks. Yeah. Anyway, that's a personal aside here, but, uh, you know, forget forget restaurants. You know, forget that. I'm not doing that anymore. Uh, anyway, so uh, unit labor costs, price gouging by monopolies, Right, global speculators, commodity speculators, war and sanctions, global supply chains. That's the supply side forces driving prices. That's supply side, and that's at least sixty percent, two thirds of the inflation. Now let's look at the demand side. You know, remember I said uh, at the beginning here that the uh, ideologues, the Republicans and ideologues on the right saying, oh, we gave people too much money during COVID, right? Look at all the savings they got. Well, the savings have disappeared. And first of all, the savings were skewed to people that had more money, you know, making 100000 a year or up. That's where most of the savings occurred because they didn't really need the, the uh, uh, emergency checks, you know. It was the middle class and below that needed those emergencies. But everyone got them. So they just uh, put it in their, their checking or savings account, sat on it, and that's why they, you, you could see this huge savings amount. Well, the savings are gone, even for them. The savings rate now, in other words, how much savings you got as opposed to, you know, how much bills you got, whatever, disposable income, whatever, is now less than it was in 2019. The savings rate disappeared. So that argument is totally specious. Doesn't hold any water. Okay, what about demand? Let's talk about other forces of demand. It's not COVID savings anymore. Right? Hasn't been for quite some time. Right? Uh, what about wages? Well, as I said, wages are coming down. Compensation is coming down over 2022. So, you know, how can wages be causing inflation? Uh, well, there is spending going on, but if you look at the, the data that just came out for credit cards, I, I believe it's mostly credit card-based spending and credit-based spending that's going on. And it's not going on that dramatically. In other words, let's look at retail sales data just came out, right? Retail sales data about, you know, was it six, six and a half percent? Retail sales are up. All right. Well, prices are up 6.5% year on year. So, you know, it's all 
spending, credit cards going up, doubling, and it's all because people are paying more for stuff. They're not buying real stuff, additional real goods. They're just paying more for the existing goods. That's what's going on. Six and a half percent, say, you know, whatever retail sales up, well, six and a half percent inflation up. Well, easy to figure that out. People aren't buying more, they're just paying more. Okay. Well, credit cards, you know, spending to some extent, uh, you know, can be a demand based and wages to some extent a demand based, you know, problem here. Uh, now, globally, you know, China reopening after zero COVID, you know, demand for commodities and so forth. So China demand is driving up to some extent global commodity prices. You know, and the rise in demand is a good excuse for these global commodity speculators uh, uh, to raise their prices, as I said. You know, not just supply shortage, but demand increases. They jack up the price. So on the demand side, you know, there there is some inflation, but it's mostly supply side. Look, if you look at the, the last CPI report, uh, it was mostly rents. Rent prices, in other words, landlords are price gouging like hell, making up for, you know, the fact that people had a moratorium on rent payments during COVID, you know, and they lost money. Well, now they're raising their their rents, you know, and even higher than what's being reported by the government, you know, because as I said before, the government its rent statistic. It's based upon uh, how much people who are actually renting are experiencing experiencing in rent hikes. There's about 50 million rental units in the U.S., but there's about 50 million houses, homeowners in the U.S. And the government has this phony statistic it calls imputed rents. In other words, how much renters pay themselves. I mean, how, how much mortgage holders, homeowners, pay themselves in rent? Let me say that again. <laughs> you know, the government has this statistic that it uses to compute total rent costs called imputed rents, in which it assumes that homeowners pay themselves rent. Now, the number they use is very lowball because they don't really know. It's a made-up number, you see. You can't go to homeowners and say, how much did you pay yourself this month for rent? No. But they plug in this number, which is like 2% a year. That's historical average, never changes, for 50 million homeowners. And they take that 2% for 50 million, and then they add it to the actual rents for people who are actually renting. And that, of course, averages out the rent increase far lower, it cuts it in half, right? Now, if you're a renter, an actual real renter, <clears throat> you're experiencing rent hikes of about, you know, 10, 20, even more percent. The landlords are jacking up these rents everywhere. Right? That's not a, a, a 6% or a 4% rate hike for you. It's a 20% rate hike, right? Anyway, uh, the rent number is even higher than they're saying. 
But you see, a lot of these statistics are designed uh, to smooth out the actual volatility and the actual rise in prices, smooth it out. All the seasonality adjustment statistics are designed to smooth it out, right? which means lower it. Okay. So on the demand side, we've got this rent problem, and we've got processed foods and gouging and so forth. And now, uh, you know, we're going to have uh, austerity. They're going to cut social programs. People are going to have less income and therefore less demand. Uh, you know, as I said, the, the demand side, you know, it plays a role. But the Fed can only depress demand side forces driving inflation. And it can do nothing about supply side, and they admit it. And we can't do anything about that. We can't do anything about war and global supply chains and commodity speculators. You know. They admit it, and they ignore the fact you know, that uh, price gouging is rampant. They ignore it. They don't say anything about that. Chair Powell and his press council doesn't say anything about that. He he brushes aside the global problems and says, we can't do anything about war and so forth, right? And he totally ignores the price gouging. And I haven't heard him say anything about rising unit labor costs. Right? These are all supply-driven causes. What he does is say uh, three things. If, you know, his last three press conference, he says, oh, inflation... There's goods inflation, and that includes oil prices, by the way. Oil prices come down, so it's offset other increases in goods, durable goods, non-durable goods, inflation, right? He says, oh, that's under control. Yeah, that's going to pop up here in another month or two. Not under control. Uh, But, okay, so that's under control. He brushes that off, right? Rents. We know the problem in rents, and he says, oh, yeah, okay, we got some inflation now, but by the summer, uh, the landlords are going to have to rewrite their leases, and it's going to come down. In other words, he's brushing that off. He's saying it's going to come down. We're not going to do anything about it. We can't. You know, it's going to come down. And then that leaves him focusing on services. He says, oh, this is where the problem is. we got to create more unemployment by raising interest rates in services to bring down wage gains in services so that there's less spending, you know, fewer wages, less spending, disposable income spending on services by U.S. consumers. Well, what we're seeing is they're not reducing their spending, even though wages are coming down in services, right? They're not reducing it because they're using credit cards. Credit card, uh, the data came out, credit card debt's about a trillion dollars now in this country. And it, it, the percent increase in the second half of last year doubled over 2019. As people's wages have come down, as they've lost full-time jobs and they're taking on more part-time jobs, that's what's going on in that 500000 primarily. That and phony statistics on new business development. Uh, I talked about that. You know, if you want my job analysis, you know, I think it's a show or two back. Go, go and listen to it. 
right? Um, but the problem, uh, you know, in, in wages is not a, pr- a problem in wages. The wages are coming down. Uh, and uh, by creating more unemployment with higher interest rates in services, which is what Powell and the Fed are for- forecasting or focusing on, right, isn't going to solve that problem because people are just turning to credit and credit cards. Look, here's a statistic that'll shock you. One out of every 10 U.S. households are now using credit cards to pay their rent and mortgages. One out of 10. And rates are going up and they're still doing it because they're desperate. They don't have the disposable income. You know, if you look at the job statistics, uh, long-term, we're losing full-time jobs. We're gaining a lot of part-time jobs because people have to work two and three jobs to make ends meet now. So each one of those jobs is considered a new job. So you get rid of a full-time job and you add two part-time jobs, it looks like you've got a net job increase. Anyway, uh, that's the picture here uh, on the demand side. Yeah, there's some demand-driven inflation, uh, and it's coming down. Uh, but, you know, if people keep turning to credit cards to survive, uh, demand is not going to come down even if you cut wages. But that's what uh, Fed Chair Powell is all focused on, you know. Uh, forget rents, forget goods inflation. Those are going to resolve themselves. No, I say those are going to re-pop up ugly head here in 23, both of those. Goods inflation, particularly driven by oil and commodities, right, and gasoline prices and so forth. And rents are not going to abate. Rent hikes are not going to abate as he thinks they are. And that leaves just services, wages. And services wages are going to come down as unemployment rises, and it will, and it is, even though it's blurred by the fact people then work two and three jobs. People are going to turn to credit cards, as they have been, to survive. All right. Okay. Uh, that's my analysis of, of inflation and prices. We can turn to a few other statistics that are interesting here, related, economic, you know, and that was uh, the GDP statistic, remember? I had a show on that not long ago where the government said, oh, you know, we had a 2 or 3% growth last year on average. No, no. If you want to really see what's happening, you go from December to December, year on year. Where, where was it? December 31st of 2021, and where was it December 20, 31st of 2022? The real economy. And as I said, the real economy grew only 1%. 1%. Actually, less than that, because inflation is underestimated. You see, the real GDP is uh, what's called nominal GDP. In other words, all the goods and, uh, and services that were sold at their uh, retail price, right? minus the inflation uh, adjustment. 
And but if inflation is underestimated, real GDP looks greater than it actually is. If you really calculate prices the way they should be, uh, real GDP would decline. So a real accurate, a more accurate assessment of prices and inflation would mean that 1% growth last year is really flat, nothing, or maybe negative. Now, consider this. The year before 2021, which is when the economy opened up from nothing, shut down virtually, uh, the official GDP growth estimate was 5.4%. That, too, is an overestimation, but let's let's stick with it. 5.4% followed by a 1% growth rate in 22. So we go from 5.4, opening the economy, not real growth, just opening the economy, to a 1% growth the following year. You know, consider this, which I've been saying and, and writing about. Consider the fact that that real growth, the 5, 5.4 and 1%, follows a fiscal stimulus of $3 trillion by Congress and $4 trillion pumped into bankers and investors by the Federal Reserve. $7 trillion. $7 trillion. Actually, I think the Fed was closer to $5 trillion. Um, let's say $8 trillion of stimulus, fiscal monetary stimulus in 2021 20, gives us a 5.4 and a 1% GDP growth. Never before that massive a stimulus had occurred. And what did we get? We got a mohill from that mountain of stimulus. We got a mohill recovery, which is probably negative and certainly slowing rapidly. Do you hear any of that analysis from uh, mainstream economists? No, no. You don't hear that, but it's it's there. It's based on government statistics. I mean, let's use the 5.4 and the 1% GDP. Let's use it. And it is a fact that the three programs, the stimulus COVID programs, the CARES Act in March 2020, followed by the Consolidation Act in uh, December of uh, 2021, followed by in February of 22. Uh, Biden's COVID Relief Act, those three acts, about $3 trillion, a lot of it wasted, a lot of it gamed by businesses. Now, gaming, uh, just aside here, uh, what about the, how did the airlines game uh, game, uh, the COVID relief? Well, they got $52 billion, the airline industry. They were supposed to keep workers on the job. It was the payroll protection program, right? They didn't keep them on the job. They laid them off anyway. They took the $52 billion. They pocketed it. They didn't invest and expand or anything with it. They pocketed it, gave some to their shareholders, right? And then when the economy opened, oh, we don't have any workers. They couldn't find them, and we had all those problems. And we still do. Southwest Airlines this incredible scheduling snafu that they came up with. Yeah, $52 billion is nothing. Well, that's just the tip of the iceberg. 
you know, I got I got a book that I'm working on called The Viral Economy and Aftermath, and there's a chapter in it about how the system was gamed, all the scamming and stealing going on on the business side, especially. Anyway, uh, you know, eight trillion dollars. And then in 2022, what do we got? We got uh, Biden who shuts down those programs and shifts the money and the spending and the investment. Another trillion dollars of, quote, stimulus aimed at business investment in those three acts that were passed. You know, the infrastructure bill, the uh, Chip and Science Act, slush fund here to bribe chip companies and tech companies back to the U.S., actually to Mexico, uh, and uh, then the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. $1.1 trillion now going as they cut out the COVID stuff, another trillion dollars over five years mostly going to uh, businesses. So what is that? Is that like $9 trillion? I don't know. You know, we got this massive stimulus. And we got nothing for it. Where did all that money go? Where did it go? Well, I'll tell you where it went. <laughs> A lot of it went in stock buybacks and dividend pay, payouts by corporations to the shareholders. That's where 2022 is going to be a record year. And Fortune 500 corporations, stock buybacks and dividend payouts. A record year. What's a record year? At least $1.3 trillion. Just the 500 largest corporations. They're just shuffling this money to their shareholders, which means to themselves. Yeah, $1.3, $1.4 trillion. Uh, Under Trump, by the way, you know, every year it was over a trillion dollars, $1.1, $1.2 trillion for the first three years of Trump's regime. The fourth year, of course, was uh, COVID, and that cut it down. I don't know what the number was, but, you know, it was in several hundred billions only of stock buybacks and dividend payouts. But now in 2022, when the economy is fully open for one year, big increase, record increase, 1.3, 1.4 has to be, because that's the record, because under Trump, you hit 1.3 in one year. I think that was 2019. Trillion, we're talking. Trillions, we're talking. Now another, well... No wonder the billionaires and the rich have been getting super rich throughout this whole thing. Fiscal monetary policy is about subsidizing capital incomes now. It's not about stabilizing the economy. It's about subsidizing. That's what's happened. Okay, so that's a recap kind of my GDP and wealth transfer analysis of a couple. You want more details? Go listen to the prior show. Right? And then we get, uh, you know, to conclude here, we get the latest data on the deficit and the debt. And what is that? Well, the deficit for 2023 is forecast. I think Congressional Budget Office, the forecast, $1.4 trillion deficit, further deficit. 
Now, the national debt, federal national debt, is the accumulation of the deficits every year. Every year you have deficit, and that's the national debt. What is the national debt right now? $31 trillion. And we're going to add another $1.4 trillion. And I saw a forecast that some they, they estimate over the next 10 years going forward, they're going to add another $12 trillion to the national debt. That means trillion-dollar-a-year-plus deficits as far as the eye can see. You know, by 2030, it'll be easily over $40 trillion deficit, or national debt, rather, because these chronic annual deficits. Why do we have chronic annual deficits? Tax cuts for 20 years now and more spending. How much have we cut taxes since 2001 when Bush started his big tax cuts? $3.8 trillion under his regime. Yeah. Add that to Obama's first year, which was one point one first two years, $1.1 trillion in tax cuts. Now, most of this goes to the rich and corporations. 80% at least goes to uh, the wealthy and the corporations, right? Okay, so $3.8 trillion tax cut under Bush. First two years of Obama, $1.1 trillion. Then Obama extends the Bush tax cuts for another decade. That costs $5 trillion more. And then in 2017, Trump passes another tax cut, especially benefiting multinational corporations, but also small businesses and himself. Costing four and a half trillion dollars. You know, add it up. That's over fifteen trillion. That's not even talking about the tax cuts that were embedded in the CARES Act and the Consolidation Act and the COVID Relief Act and these three investment subsidy acts that have occurred in the past year. I'm not even counting that. I don't know. I haven't done that calculation yet. Right? But fifteen trillion in tax cuts. Sixty percent of the problem with the US deficit long term is Lack of tax revenue. It's a problem. Not the cost of Medicare, which isn't even calculated in the budget deficit. You know, Social Security Medicare is outside the budget deficit. They like to drag it in, but it's outside. It's pay-as-you-go. It has nothing to do with income tax revenues. It has its own payroll tax, except, of course, for prescription drugs. You know, when they passed that in 2005, they did not increase the payroll tax to cover it. Uh, They pay that out of the general deficit budget. So, yeah, prescription drugs, Part D, Social Security, uh, is a drag on the the current uh, uh, deficit. Okay. Now, $15 trillion dollars. You know, it's half of the $31 trillion national debt. Uh, but you've got to add $7 trillion more in war spending that the U.S. pissed away in the Middle East, Afghanistan, and everything from 2001 until 21, when Biden cut the cord and got out of Afghanistan because he knew he was going into Ukraine. <laughs> so he cut that 
Yeah, $7 trillion we spent. And, you know, that's not counting what we're spending now on Ukraine. Last year, $111 billion direct aid. Well, most of that went to U.S. war corporations. Okay, there's your deficit and your debt. And that's going to be a big problem going forward. Okay, uh, that's it for today. I'm out of here uh, next week. Ukraine war analysis.